Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We're happy to have our brother Bill Lusky with us this morning, and we're going to turn our Bible Instruction Time over to him now. Brother Bill, please. Well, I've decided to talk about 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testaments. Most of what I hope to say will probably be just history, but maybe you'll get a little something out of it. Incidentally, those 400 years of silence wherein God did not speak to us through or to the Israelites through the prophets, there is some indication that, well, let me say this, the passage that uh, David read covers some of the area during that 400 years. Some of those things that David read happened during this 400 years of silence. Have have you ever wondered why there's a 400 years separation between the Old and New Testaments? Why is there not just a continuing testament? The period between Malachi and Matthew is full of history, and if understood properly, can bring some important context into the coming of the Lord Jesus. There were at least 14 books written during that time called the Apocrypha, and why why would we talk about books that aren't even in the Bible? Well, actually, some of these books give a fairly clear insight into the spiritual, philosophical and intellectual life of Judaism in the period between the Old and the New Testaments. Even though some of them are strictly fiction, I read uh, several of those books, and they make interesting reading. They're really, some of them, kind of funny. The period of silence between the Old and the New Testament is nothing new. It follows a pattern that God generally designed or allowed. First, a desperate situation arises, and then God presents his deliverance. He then calls upon a faithful servant to stand in the gap, making intercession to him. But this is a period of time when God did not speak to his chosen people by the prophets. Why do you suppose that happened, and what happened to God's people during that period of time? It seems that God allowed his people to exhaust their resources and reduce themselves to a desperate situation before he brought to the scene his most faithful and perfect servant, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at those 400 years during which God paused his communication through man, we see that Israel really was reduced to a desperate situation. When I think about that, I think of why Israel was looking for someone to pull them out of it. They, they actually were in such a bad, bad way They were looking for a king 
somebody that could bring them uh, some deliverance. And God delivered his final message through Malachi in about 397 B.C. When the book of Malachi closes, we have a nation that's in love with idolatry. They want to worship the gods and the idols of the heathen. They want to be as much like the world as possible. And they're seeking to be part of that pagan culture. They want to live by man's law, not God's law. Sounds like the world that we live in today, doesn't it? But when the book of Matthew opens, we find a nation who are worshiping God, and they seem to want to destroy every hint of idolatry. Interesting. They had just rioted because Herod had created some buildings uh, for the pagan culture that included statues and images. At the end of Malachi, there's little interest in the Messiah. But in Matthew, there's great interest in the Messiah. And they're looking forward to the Messiah. There have even been, been a number of people who claim to be the Messiah. We left the Jews in captivity in, Bab in uh, Malachi. The Babylonians had taken Israel, uh, Judah, into captivity. And that was followed by Persia. And in Matthew, after succeeding control uh, of Israel by the Greeks, Egyptians, and Syrians, the Romans are now in charge. Lots happened during this 400-year period. In Malachi, there are no synagogues, but in Matthew, there's a synagogue in almost every Jewish town. So let's look at what has happened in Israel during these 400 years until the silence of those 400 years is broken by an angel announcing the birth of the Lord around 4 B.C. Although there are many theories as to why there's a 400-year gap, they don't take into account the omniscience and sovereignty of Jehovah, Jehovah God. He would be preparing to speak in these last days by his son, having previously spoken only by prophets and other means. Perhaps a long and distinct pause would add emphasis to this monumental revelation. The 400-year period is divided into six historical divisions as relates to Israel. First of all, there was Persia, and then Greece, and then Egypt and Syria, the Maccabees, and finally Rome. First is the Persian area between 539 and 336. The Persians are still the dominating force in the Middle East at the beginning of this 400-year period in 397. You remember the king of Persia had allowed some of the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the walls under Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. 
It's interesting to see how Babylon had been used by God to purge idolatry from his people. They returned to Jerusalem with a new reverence for the scriptures and a very firm grasp on monotheism. And from that time to this, the Jews have had very little difficulty with idol worship. Persia was somewhat tolerant to the Jewish remnant in Palestine, in Palestine. And the rise of the synagogue as the center of worship happened during this Persian era. Scribes became important for the interpretation of scripture in these services. And during this time, a temple rose in Samaria, establishing a form of worship that was rivaling Judaism, and it encouraged the separation between the Samaritan and the Jew. We left the book of Malachi with Persia in charge in about 396, and Alexander the Great comes on the scene some 61 years later in 336. Alexander and Greece will now control Israel for the next 13 years to about 323. And this is a brief period, but a period of great change. And of course, Alexander is the central figure in this brief period. It had been Alexander's plan to develop a worldwide language, custom, and civilization, and his influence has lived long after his death. The, the adoption of this Greek culture <clears throat> called Hellenism became so popular that it persisted 300 years later into New Testament times, and even today. A bitter struggle ensued between the Jews concerning this Hellenistic influence, and many faithfully resisted polytheism. The Greek language, however, became the common language of the day in just 13 years. With Alexander's death, his empire was divided between his four generals. You see, Alexander had no, no son. And so the empire was divided between his four generals. The most important to Israel was Ptolemy, who received Egypt, and Seleucus, who received Syria. The two are referred to in Scripture as the king of the north and the king of the south because Israel, Israel was right in the middle. Egyptian control of Israel began with the death of Alexander in 323 and lasted 125 years to 198. But Ptolemy, the general that received Egypt, and nearby Israel initially treated them fairly, quite badly. But toward the end of his reign and that of his successor, the Jews were treated somewhat favorably. As a matter of fact, his successor, Ptolemy II, had 70 or possibly 72 Jewish scholars translate the Old Testament into Greek. 
During this time, a gradual infiltration of Greek influence and assimilation of the Greek way of life took place. Hellenism's emphasis encouraged Jews to neglect Jewish rites, making worship become more external than internal. And that had a lasting impact on Judaism. Two religious parties are emerging, the Hellenizing Party and the Orthodox Jews, who were the predecessors of the Pharisees. The Hellenizing Party gave rise later to the Sadducees. Then the next came the Syrian era, between 198 and 166 BC, or another 32 years. It can actually be said that that period of time between 323 and 166, or some 150 years, was both Egyptian and Syrian, as far as Jerusalem was concerned, because the two, the king of the north and the king of the south, were constantly warring, one with the other. One would go up to Syria, and of course they'd go across Israel. Then uh, Syria would come down to Egypt and go across Israel, back up across Israel, back down across Israel. And the Jews had a terrible time during that period. <clears throat> it could actually be said, as I mentioned, that they were that they were, that was probably both uh, Egyptian and Syrian during those 150 years. And Daniel tells about, Daniel 11 tells us about the king of the north and the king of the south and those various wars. Jerusalem was initially governed by Egypt after the death of Alexander. However, during these many years, Eventually, the king of the north, Syria, was successful in defeating the king of the south, Egypt, and Judea became annexed to Syria. In 171 BC, the Syrian Antiochus Epiphanes, the hated king of the north, again invaded Egypt, the king of the south. However, this time he was unsuccessful and the Jews heard that he had been killed. Hearing this, and because of their hatred for him, they had a great celebration. Unfortunately, the rumor was false. And during their great celebration, Antiochus himself, returning to Syria through Israel, found them celebrating his death. You can imagine how that went over. He'd just been repulsed from his invasion, uh, his attempted invasion into Egypt, and now he sees Israel celebrating his death. He was so angered that he set about to destroy every distinctive characteristic of the Jewish faith and murdered thousands of the Jewish population. As a matter of fact, 40,000 Jews were killed and another 40,000 taken captive in just three days. The Jews were especially devastated by this Arab, evil Arab leader, Antiochus, who was predicted by Daniel the prophet. 
and he was determined to wipe out the Jewish religion altogether. Under this king, Jewish sacrifices and feast days were forbidden, and circumcisions were to cease. As a matter of fact, if any child was circumcised, it was killed and hung around his mother's neck, and she was later killed herself. Although the Jews were treated terribly, they were allowed in some of that time to maintain local rule under their high priests until the Hellenizing party replaced the high priest and set off a political conflict that brought Antiochus again into Jerusalem about 168 B.C. Every time he came to town, the Jews were in for it. Sabbath and feast days were no longer observed, and disobedience was punished by death. The books of the law were ripped apart and burned. Jews were forced to eat bacon and pork chops and to sacrifice at adulterous altars set up throughout the land. He then desecrated the most high place by sacrificing a pig on the altar and sprinkling its blood all over the area. This, of course, of course offended and infuriated the Jews. All of this was prophesied by Daniel in chapter 11. The Lord Jesus even referred to this event as a type of what will happen in the future just before he comes calling it the abomination of desolation. We remember that in Matthew 24. Later, when a Syrian official tried to enforce a heathen sacrifice in the city of Modian, northwest of Jerusalem, an elderly priest by the name of Mattathias was so enraged that he killed the official and fled to the mountains with his family. Thousands of faithful Jews joined Mattathias and continuously raised havoc for the Syrians. This starts the area of the Maccabees from 265 to 63, or approximately 100, 102 years. When Mattathias died, his three sons carried on the revolt in succession. There was Judas, Maccabeus, Jonathan, and Simon. These men had, a, had such success that by 165 they had retaken Jerusalem, cleansed the temple, and restored worship. And the Jews celebrate that event even to this day called the Feast of Hanukkah. By 142, only 33 years of antagonizing the Syrians, they were independent and experienced almost 70 years of freedom under the Hasmosean dynasty. When John Hycranus became governor and high priest of Israel, he conquered Transjordan and Idumea and destroyed the Samaritan temple. 
His power and popularity was so great that he led himself to refer to himself as king, which flew in the face of the Orthodox Jews, who by this time were called the Pharisees. They recognized no king unless he was of the lineage of David and the Hasmoseans were not. Those who opposed the Pharisees and supported these Hasmoseans Hasmoseans, were called Sadducees. So now we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The independence of the Jews ended in 63 BC when Pompey of Rome took Syria and eventually Israel. In 47 BC, Julius Caesar appointed Antipater the Idumean procurator of Judea. Herod, the son of Antipater, eventually became king of the Jews around 40 BC. And he killed every every uh, descendant of the Hasmodians, even his own wife, who happened to be the granddaughter of John Hycranus. This is the man that's on the throne when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We're now at the close of the end of these 400 years, or close to the close, and there are five notable groups, the Pharisees, Their emphasis was on the strict adherence of the law to the scriptures, and they sought to apply the written law to everyday life. Then there was the Sadducees. They seemed to have tended toward a more social, political, earthly aspects of their position, and they were really the liberals of the day. Then there were the Herodians, they were a political party whose major, major aim was to further the cause of Herod. Inclined toward Hellenism, they feared the destruction of Jerusalem by Rome if there was too much Jewish rebellion. Then there were the zealots. They would not conform to Roman rule and did not believe in waiting around submissively. They had a fiery nationalistic spirit and, dis- and stressed a man-made military rather than divine intervention. You'll remember that one of the Lord's disciples was Simon the Zealot. And then the fifth group were the Essenes, a non-political group. They felt that they should withdraw from ordinary human society and practice a monolistic type of life with a passion for the spirit of the law and a separation to God. They were content to lock out the world. 400 years of silence has passed and God is about again to speak but in an entirely different way. The writer of the book of Hebrews said it quite eloquently. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, 
The stage is now set for God to provide the solution to the problems that Israel apparently had been searching for. Mankind's futile attempts to deal with the shifting tides of political power and religious belief had produced very little. Although the various parties and movements discussed seems to have been evidence of a sincere search of some kind for a final solution, it seems that all have failed. The fullness of times has finally arrived, and God is about to produce a solution. The nation of Israel, which had been in constant, which had been constant in their desire to worship various heathen gods and images, had been purchased, had been purged from this idol worship by the Babylonian exile. Their interest is finally directed toward the only true God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it's more external than internal. They've learned that there were consequences in following a lifestyle that did not include a holy God. But they seem to now, it seemed now to be more a matter of show rather than sincerity of heart. We should have little difficulty realizing why the Savior was not received by this covenant people. Their years of declension had made them long for a king that would fend off their enemies and afford them a mighty presence in the world. Can you understand that? Their eyes had become blinded to their true need and their ears heady their hearts hardened, and their consciences seared concerning spiritual matters. All of this availed nothing, for when spiritual discernment is gone and religion is just a matter of ritual rather than life, the result is an expected degradation. Unfortunately, this is what we see in our world today and in our country. I think I've mentioned this before, but when I grew up, that was quite a number of years ago, stores were closed on Sunday in respect for God and spiritual things. There were a few gas stations open, but very few, and also a few pharmacies. I think you younger folks can hardly imagine that, but it's true. During the Second World War and even years later, stores were closed on Sunday. That's not what we see today. Today we see Christians in our country degraded, disrespected, and in many cases persecuted with apparent court approval. There was a time not long ago when nearly every church had a full Sunday, Sunday evening service. Now it's hard to find the, few, the pews fully filled on Sunday morning. What I'm trying to say is that we shouldn't be too critical of the Jews. They at least have kept God in view, and though it may be mostly outward rather than inward, they have kept him in view. Well, we looked at 400 years of silence on the part of God. 
we've also seen some 2,000 years of silence since the Lord, since the Lord walked on our, on our earth, except for his voice in our Bibles. You know, that can be a deafening silence. Not only deafening, but a deadly one, unless we hear his voice. He said, if any man hear my voice, I will come in to him. Have you heard his voice? Perhaps we've heard his voice some time ago, but haven't recently heard that still small voice that Elijah heard, helping us to move forward. Elijah had just had a mountaintop experience, having defeated all the false prophets of Baal, and having seen them even eliminated. And because of this, Jezebel was out to get him. And he was holed up in a cave in the mountains. Sometimes mountaintop experiences can be followed by deep valleys. The still small voice that Elijah heard was, What are you doing here, Elijah? Perhaps the same can be asked of us if we're stuck in some kind of a rut. I hope that our thoughts concerning these 400 years, we've concluded that Satan can and does help us down the road to apathy, as he often did with the Israelites. Is it possible that we get up on Sunday morning or Wednesday evening and come to church because it's what we always do. Instead of anticipating and longing for the opportunity to worship. If so, we're just one step away from having a form of godliness. God help us that we might not fall into that category. For some reason, mother and dad found it necessary to make my middle name Elijah. Did you know that? And so I've had many times during my lifetime to think of what God said to, to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? So I leave that with you this morning. What are you doing here, Elijah? Let's pray. Father, accept our confession that we are not all we should be. And grant us into insight into what we can be if ever you are in control. We ask it in our Savior's name.